The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, you never know what you're going to find on Dr. Carol's Couch, or I guess who you're going to find. Uh, Sometimes, like last week, it's, you know, um, politically driven and, uh, you know, very connected to current events, and I'm often ranting about something or other. And then I try to provide a mixture of um, of some self-help topics and some topics that make you feel good, which you need after listening to my rant on the other shows, the other episodes. <laughs> so today is one of those um, feel-good kinds of shows, <laughs> just, just in case you're all wondering. Um, and my guest is someone who is going to share his personal story. He's walking his talk, and um, the, we're going to be talking today about overcoming body image issues in a world obsessed by appearance. Now, everyone has something about their face or their body that they don't particularly like, and some of us are more hung up on these things than others. Um, and it is true that in our media-driven, advertisement-driven world, um, appearance has become so overrated, <laughs> has become so you know overly important. What what's on the outside oftentimes seems more than important than what's on the inside. You just have to look at Match.com and those kinds of things to know what I'm talking about. Um, and you know, uh, but but you can't. I mean, you can't change. You, you can kind of work on changing um, the world and work on changing, in particular, in regard to this. You know, making people more aware of how important it is to look at the inside. But at the same time, you know, those t- changes are very slow to make happen. And so, in the meantime, um, you need to. There are things. That you know, it still impacts us, and you know that's why the plastic surgery industry is booming, and and makeup stores are booming, and and everything else. And sometimes there are things. I mean, sometimes we're just talking about vanity, um, little things that we like to change, and sometimes we're talking about things that that we were born with, and that we really didn't have that much of an opportunity to change, at least not when we were young. And so. Um, my guest today, uh, Brad Wheelis, is the author of a new book, Hot Off the Press, called The Perception Myth, A Guide to Challenging Your Personal Myths and Discovering Your Inner Greatness. Now, Brad is a former correspondent for ABC News. In fact, his political coverage has earned him a prestigious award, the National Edward R. Murrow Award. 
Um, he grew up, however, believing that he was damaged goods. He had a severe eye problem, and he suffered from a deformed chest, which is called pectus excavatum. That's the medical expression for it. And um, he had to overcome these drawbacks to his self-esteem and, in fact, wanted to and became successful in the media, which, of course, is even more... Um, more pays even more attention, more focused on appearance than you know than most other uh, occupations. So Brad's book of how he overcame his body image issues, um, you know, is from someone who is not just talking theoretically, but um, has done so through his own hard-won experiences. So Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. I appreciate it. I, I like being on the couch today. <laughs> Well, okay, let's start with um, once upon a time, I often have, usually have, my guests um, start with, uh, and for some topic like this, what, you know, early childhood, like when you first noticed some of these problems and how they affected you? Well, children can be cruel, and, and to begin with, as you mentioned, I had severe eye problems, and so I wore these really thick glasses, which I still have to wear to this day if I take out my contact lenses. I'm legally blind without having glasses or, or contacts, and so when I was in school, there weren't a lot of kids that, that had these thick glasses like I did, and I would be called four eyes. Uh, that's something that uh, hurt me, but I was able to overcome. I sort of took the blows, knew they were going to, to happen. And, and I moved on. About the age of well, eight wait, or nine just years you, old, where, where was my this? Where, where were you growing up? I'm sorry? Where were you growing up? Uh, my father was in the military, so we were growing up everywhere, which made it even more difficult, Dr. Mm. Carroll, because mm. I would enter a new school when we would move, and there was a whole new group of kids <laughs> there to make fun of me. So yes. every time I went to a new school, I had this anxiety of, of how are they going to treat me and what mean things will they say. Yes. Okay, Can, go ahead. So, so then I had uh, pectus excavatus, and this is a, a chest wall deformity. My chest sinks in. It's hollowed out, if you will. As one child told me, it looks like a bowling ball hit your chest. So mm. that kind of gives you a visual of, of what it looks like. There are a number of people, uh, one in 450, have this, but we don't see it very often because we go through great lengths to, to cover it up. We wear a shirt or even double shirts, or we put a sweater over our chest so that uh, people can't find out about this. And when I was in physical education classes, gym class school, uh, some of the boys made fun of me. And this wasn't just something that my parents could say, Brad, ignore them. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Because we went to the doctor's and he gave us a diagnosis. There was a medical term for this, mm. which basically validated the fact that I was deformed. I was different than the other kids. And that was really tough growing up, but there wasn't much that uh, we could do to repair it early on. And then when we found out about repair surgery, it was so involved of cutting the rib cage and uh, reworking all the, the bones. It, it was something that I just did not want to go through. I didn't want to put myself through that pain. Hmm. And so when did that, so first the eye, the four eyes problem came, yes. was that more obvious? 
And then how old were you when, you know, you were in a situation where people had to actually see that your chips, I mean, I guess that was changing in gym class. So how old were you? Uh, it, it started to surface uh, around eight or nine years old. And with this uh, deformity, it, it can be present at birth or you can sort of grow into it, which was mm. my case. Mm. And I tried to keep it covered and tried to avoid the swimming pool. Sometimes I would pretend I was sick to get out of gym class. Mm. Uh, but uh, there were times, especially in my teenage years, where uh, there was a what they call a shirt skins game in, in PE class, which is how the, the coaches differentiated the two teams that they would select, and they would go down the line of boys and say, uh, skins, shirts, skins, shirts, and those who were skins had to take off their shirts and, and huh. play the game shirtless. And uh, that was just terrifying to me, and that's where the comments started coming. So it was really prevalent in my teen years where my chest had to be exposed, swimming class, going to the neighborhood pool. Uh, and, and then I started to avoid these, these things, if at all possible. So I, I wasn't going to the neighborhood pool. I didn't want to go to the beach. And if I did, I tried to keep my shirt on as, as much as possible. And I would, I would keep it on until I walked to the edge of the pool and then rip it off and jump in immediately, mm. hoping that nobody would see this gruesome chest of mine. That's how I perceived it, but it was just my perception. It wasn't uh, nearly as grotesque as, as I had in my mind. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so were your parents... Um concerned about the psychological issues? I mean, I'm sure they, you know, as you said, they took you to the doctor and they wanted to make sure from a health viewpoint that things were okay. But um, did you have therapy when you were growing up? You know, I didn't. I was an introverted child. I, I didn't express the hurt that I was going through. Uh, my parents knew that I was a little sensitive about my chest. I don't think they know the depth uh, of that hurt. And so I did not go through therapy when I was a child. And my mother, after the doctor said, hey, you're going to be okay. This is not life-threatening. This is not going to harm you in any way. It's just going to look different. So then my mom would say things like, you know, why don't you take your shirt off when you're mowing the grass to get a little sun? <laughs> and, uh, and so she tried to make me feel better about it or yeah. as if it wasn't a big deal. That, in turn... <laughs> uh, really screwed with my, my brain uh, mm. because I thought, well, now you're not validating me. You're mm. pretending it's not a problem, and I know it is a problem, mm. and the doctor has told me it's a problem, and, you know, I feel awful about this. Uh, but I think as, as parents, a lot of times you just don't know what to do or what to say yeah. to a child. And, yeah. and in hindsight, therapy probably would have been a good idea early on, and, and I didn't do that until I was in my adult years. Hmm. So, um, when around when did you decide what you wanted to be when you grew up? Like, when did you decide you wanted to get into the media? I decided that when I was 14 years old. And uh, we were living in the Republic of Panama. The only connection we had with the United States was a newscast. Hmm. And I used to watch a newscaster named Jessica Savage. And she was the, a, a weekend news anchor. Yeah. And um, when my English teacher handed us out a, a book report assignment, I said, I'm going to review Jessica's new autobiography, Anchorwoman, uh, because uh -huh. I was just mesmerized by her. I thought she had this great appearance. Uh, she was so friendly, so beautiful. 
And, uh, and there was, for some reason, I connected to her. And it was a con- my connection back to the United States as well. So I did the book report, and as I read her book, I realized that she had some self-doubt. Uh, she had uh, some problems with self-esteem as she was growing up. And yes, she got I, a job at her local book. radio station in high school, and it propelled her into stardom. And then she became this network news anchor, and it seemed as though reading this book, that Jessica's life was perfect. And so I said, this is my answer. I have poor self-esteem. I've got to get into the media. I've got to show people who I am. Once I become famous, then all my problems are going to disappear. People will realize that I am lovable. I'm valuable. I matter. And, yeah. and I believe that I would start thinking that. Um, and, and so that's where it all began when I was 14. When I turned 17, we moved to a small town in Oklahoma, and I went to the radio station there, and I begged them for a job, and they obliged. They hired me there, and uh, instantly, I was popular in high school. I went from nobody knowing me to everybody saying hello in the hall, and I was addicted. Okay. We need to leave people on a cliffhanger here and get the rest of the story when we come back. My guest is Brad Wheelis. His book is called The Perception Myth, A Guide to Challenging Your Personal Myths and Discovering Your Inner Greatness. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about overcoming body image issues in a world obsessed by appearance. And my guest is Brad Wheelis. And right when we left, (laughs) sort of on a cliffhanger, you were in a small (laughs) Oklahoma town, and you walked into the radio station and begged them to put you on, and they did. And all of a sudden, you were an overnight celebrity. Exactly. Now, we're talking a very small town, but when you are unknown in your high school and nobody speaks to you, Hmm. and you're this introverted child, and then one day you walk in and, and 
people are walking down the hall saying hello to you by name, it really changes your self-image. Um, and, and I thought, this is it. This is the answer. Uh, you know, these, these kids love me now. You know, the, the, the top cheerleader, the captain of the football team, uh-huh. they, were, they were all interested in saying hello to me. They wanted to know me. Well, wait, so I, what, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Brad, what, what were you doing on the um, radio station? Did, were, you, are you, were you an anchor? I mean, what, what actually were you doing there? Like, how did they know your name? I started as a disc jockey in hmm. high school, and so I was on uh, in the evenings after school. I would leave school and then head over to the radio station, and, and I would uh, be a disc jockey for the evening. And uh, being in Oklahoma, uh, that's Tornado Alley. So anytime there was severe weather, every single person in town tuned into this one radio station in town uh, because there was only one, and they would listen to the weather reports. Well, I was a part of that coverage, and so... At some point, just about everybody in that town uh, knew me because they had listened on the radio. And so, um, so yeah, I was sort of a, a, a celebrity uh, because there were no TV stations in town and there was no other radio station in town. And had you had any experience before then, or they just hired you because you said, please? You know, uh, I had no experience, and this is kind of a, a, an interesting story. When I decided to follow in Jessica Savage's footsteps after reading her autobiography, I started with a uh, cassette recorder in my bedroom, and I would pretend to read the news or be a disc jockey, and then I would listen to the tape back, mm. and I would critique myself and say, oh, I need to change this, I need mm. to change that a little. So I took this tape to the radio station. And, 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 and it took a couple of tries to get the job. The first time I took the, uh, I mailed the tape in with a sparse resume and said, I'd like to work here. And, and I called, and the general manager said, I'm sorry, we don't have anything here. I don't foresee anything in the future. Good <laughs> luck to you. Well, I was determined. And, uh, and, and though that was a setback, I had read in the local paper just a few months later that the radio station had been sold to a new company. So huh. I thought, that's a new opportunity. This time I wasn't going to mail in a resume. I decided I was going to go down there and confront them face-to-face. And if I could meet them face-to-face, I know they would believe in me and, and I would work there. So I walked in, met with the new general manager, and I said, look, I will sweep your floors. I will answer your phones. I'll take out your trash. I will do anything you want, and I will not ask for any pay. I'll do it for free. This is my career. I have to learn this business. I need to be in this building. And he said, you know what? We'll pay you for your services, and let me see what we can do. And they initially hired me to read a weather forecast once an hour during the American Country Countdown. It's like a top 40 of country music uh, that was a national show. And I would do the local weather cut-in. And, and the first week I started – the person who did evenings got sick and was out for four days, and I had to fill in for him. And at that point, they said, you can do this. You're, you know, you're kind of a natural. And so they offered me more hours, and I ended up uh, getting a full-time job in my senior year of high school, disc jockeying at night. Wow, that's a great story. You know, I hope all, you, all, all of you who are listening to this, you know, and who get discouraged, uh, who who would have maybe gotten discouraged with the first try sending in the tape and, and, and hearing, not only we don't want you now, but it's unlikely we'll ever want you in the future. <laughs> right. You know, 99% of people would have just given up. 
on that. And, right, um, and that was a valuable life lesson, Dr. Carroll. I, I, it really taught me that perseverance matters. And I wasn't the most qualified candidate for a job there. I had no on-air experience whatsoever. But it was my attitude. It was going back in there and saying, I will do whatever it takes to get this job done, but I need to be in here. And, and I think when you approach things that way, when, when a door is closed, you know, figure out if there's a window open or there's a back door. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to find a way in there. And, and if it wasn't this company, I may have had to wait a couple of years after graduation and, and gone to another radio station. But you keep asking and keep applying, and, and somebody is going to say yes. For anybody who's in sales, they know this. Yeah. You know, for every sale you have, there's, there's 10 15, 100 people who have said no yes. or who have not purchased your product. Yes, and so you yes. wait for that one person to come along who says yes. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, so what happened from there? Well, from there, I uh, started college and, and continued working in radio in another town in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City, actually, a much bigger town. And uh, I kept chasing this fame. I thought, uh, I, I really need to be famous so that people will love me, so that I will love myself. Um, and what I found is every job I went to, there was this moment where I was so excited about joining the team and getting the promotion, and it's a bigger town and a bigger job, and that felt really great for maybe six months. And about six months in, I realized this, is not changing the inside of me. You know, there's still this hole there. I still feel bad about myself. I was still uh, putting these walls up and not making uh, relationships with people intimate. Um, I, I kept them at arm's length because I didn't want them to find out about how I was disfigured and who I really was. I'm really that kid that wears the Coke bottle glasses, even though you can't see them now. Um, and so I had this poor self-esteem that followed me everywhere, and, and I, I almost didn't realize uh, that, that, that radio was not doing this for me. I just knew I'm still unhappy, so I need to get the next biggest job because the mm. next one's going to make me happy. Mm. Uh, and that one didn't make me happy, so go on to the next one. And I got to the network level working for ABC News, and I still was empty inside. It still wasn't satisfying. And then I realized I've got to do something about me. It's not the job, and that's not going to change how I feel about myself. I've got to do it myself. Okay, and so you then did what? I then started looking inward. I, I went to therapy. I started reading some self-help books. Uh, I started asking myself the tough questions. I had, uh, because I kept everybody at arm's length and I wouldn't let people get close to me, sometimes when they would try to get close to me, I would then pick a fight, and, and we would not talk for several weeks, a couple of months, something like that, before we made up. Uh, this was my way of keeping people back. And mm -hmm. I know it sounds crazy to people, and, and it really it was, uh, but that was my M.O. And I said, it can't be all these people that are wrong. You know, it has to be me. And once I started shining the light on me and saying, what, who do I want to be? What type of person do I want to be? Do I want to be the perfectionist and hold everybody accountable and make them live up to these impossible standards? Or 
who I want to be a loving person who's happy for my friends and and just an easy guy to get along with. And the answer was obvious. I wanted to be the easygoing guy and the, the lovable guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so little by little, I started making changes, you know, and, and instead of, uh, you know, uh, holding my friends accountable or feet to the fire for, for little mistakes they made, I, I, would, I would say, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to live with it. And, and it really made life easier for me. And it was a long process. This wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, it took years and years. And even today, there are times where I discover I jump back into the old Brad, but now I'm able to see that. And I say, wait a minute, hold on. I don't want to be that person. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and then I can move forward. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, all media, I mean, appearance counts in, in general, you know, walking down the street. And, of yeah. course, all media um, has more of an, an emphasis on appearance. But was there a time, I mean, like you talked about reading Jessica Savage's book, and I read her book as well, and um, was there a time, and watching her, you know, when you were in Panama, was right. there a time when you wanted to do television and your, your old fears of being four eyes and having, um, you know, a chest, uh, a concave chest, um, that, did that stop you from even trying to go into television? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> Let me explain this. I think Jessica's book was, was a great book and it and had a big impact on me and led to my career in broadcasting, which was very good to me. Uh, but in some ways, Jessica's book was bad medicine uh, because it, it implanted the idea in my head. Uh, my perception was become famous and your life is wonderful. And that did not turn out to be the case, as I said. Uh, so I did want to pursue television. I wanted to follow exactly in Jessica's footsteps. And, um, and there was a point where I had decided I was going to apply for a TV job. And I was nervous because I thought, well, I have these, not only the, the, the thick glasses, I had gotten rid of those by then, but someone had made a comment, a, a, a classmate had made a comment years before that I looked tired. One day, just out of the blue, just said, are you tired? And I said, no. And she said, well, you look like it. Your eyes are droopy. And that lived with me for many, many years. And so I thought, can I go in there with my droopy eyes? Oh, wow. Are they going to accept me? And so I was very nervous. But something inside of me, and I don't know where this came from, Dr. Carroll, but but something inside of me, even when I was faced with with the fear or uh, or, – the knowledge that kids were going to make fun of me or that somebody might turn me down because of my droopy eyes, I still forged ahead. And I don't know whether that was a form of self-torture mm-hmm. or I was just determined. You know? <laughs> but, um, but I went ahead and I applied for a job at, at a TV station, and they immediately said no but didn't tell me why. Uh, and I immediately knew. I said, it's either my chest or my eyes, one or the other, and I don't know that I'm cut out for TV. So... What I did was I was looking for ways of, of making my chest stick out. You know, could I stuff something under my shirt or could I uh, wear two T-shirts under my dress shirt and then the tie and then the jacket, and that will kind of disguise the chest. Mm-hmm. And, and I had this little trick where I would, right before I would do the audition, I would take my fingers and put them on my eyelids and, and push up my eyelids. Huh. It didn't work, but that's. You know, I thought, well, I'll just lift them up myself right before I go on, and, and, and I'll be fine. 
I remember making an audition tape with a friend of mine who was in television news. And uh, we made the audition tape, and he says, you know, I think you look fine. I, you know, I don't see anything out of the, out of, out of the ordinary, because he knew I was concerned about my look. And I did take this tape to a television station in Waco, Texas. And the guy said, looks at it, and he goes, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about your eye. Oh, dear. Okay, we need to stop here. We need to have another cliffhanger because we're getting the signal <laughs> that uh, that we need to take another break. But, um, boy, it, you know, that just points out, as we'll talk about more when we come back, it's things that people say carelessly, I know it lives with people for the rest of their lives, whether it's a true statement or not. So we'll be back. Um, my guest is Brad Wheelis. His book is called The Perception Myth. <laughs> You're seeing where this all comes comes together. A guide to challenging your personal myths and discovering your inner greatness. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about overcoming body image issues in a world obsessed by appearance with my guest, Brad Willis. And just before the break, <laughs> we were uh, at another cliffhanger. Um, where Brad now uh, attempted, despite his his um, self-esteem issues and, and sp- particularly in regard to body image, uh, trying out for a television gig. And so the man said to you, take it from where you left off. The news director said to me, I can't place my finger on it, but there's something with your eye. And, oh, that was 
the most devastating thing I had heard in, in a long time because I thought, this is it. My career is over. You know, I can't go into television because of these droopy eyes and uh, one eye is lazy. And, and, uh, and so I left there uh, pretty devastated. Uh, you know, I just I, uh, I was beside myself. I went back to my radio job, which was comfortable, and I was doing quite well at it, actually. And uh, I, I was still determined. Somehow I'm going to get a job in television. I'm going to make this happen. And, uh, you know, whether it's I have to put some makeup on to make my eyes look bigger or, you know, trim my eyebrows a little bit more to make me a little more alive looking. Um, but I was determined. And so I shopped around my tape to a few other people. Surprisingly enough, another uh, another news director said, well, you've got a little bit of a lazy eye. It'll probably prevent you from going to network. I would hire you here. Huh. Uh, so I, I left that place. They had actually offered me a job, um, but I didn't take it. I turned it down and got uh, got a, a job as an anchor uh, on a morning show in Waco, Texas. And, and a morning uh, radio show. Uh, it, this was a TV program. Oh, so you you were yeah. you, you were offered two different TV jobs. I were I was offered two jobs. I turned down the one where the guy was, you know, mentioned the eyes. And, and this one, this guy was an old radio guy, and we sort of connected on that level. And he says, I think you're going to be fine. The first day I was on the air, I, I taped it, and I watched it back, and I thought, oh, my gosh, my eyes look awful. I even went into the news director and said, I'm sorry. Did you see my eyes today? I, I don't know what I can do about this. I, I, you know, I apologize. I didn't know I was going to look that way on camera here. Uh, and he said, Brad, you look fine. I didn't notice anything. You're okay. You know, go back and do this, you know, tomorrow. And it was the first time someone had said to me, you're okay. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're fine. And that's where the perception myth comes into play, because we oftentimes, if we think something about ourselves, and we, we look for the validation in that, uh, and sometimes it, it can be helpful to help us deal with something, and other times it, it can really set us back. And, and so when somebody pointed out my eyes, I said, up. Uh, See, I, I was right. The eyes are awful, and I, I can't work in television. But, but another man's opinion was, you're fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, skip ahead years later when I was working at ABC News in the radio department, the, the TV folks had asked me, can you do a stand-up on camera for huh. us on this story? And I jumped over, did the stand-up, and I, I sent an email to one of the producers, and I said, hey, let me know, you know if, if this is okay, did I look okay? And he said, oh, you were great. You were wonderful. Not once at network television huh. did anyone say, there's something wrong with your eyes or what's the deal with your chest or you know, your appearance isn't quite there. Nobody ever said a thing. Hmm. That's interesting. And so then, so then what happened since? I mean, have you been... Um, did you did you stay in that Waco, Texas TV job, or did you keep? Well, I mean, I know you went to ABC after that, but right. I mean, so well, what, you know, I stayed there for a couple of years, moved on to a bigger market in Oklahoma City, did TV there for the Fox station for a couple of years, uh, and then I decided TV wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I was so familiar with radio; it was so great, um, but. The TV was uh, one of those uh, medias that basically there were many pieces of, uh, many fingers in the pie, I should say. 
And, uh, and, and so I liked having the autonomy that I had in radio. It was yes. me writing a script and me delivering the script. Yes. In television, there were a lot of producers that had their hands in the mix, and, and uh, you had a photographer to deal with, an editor to deal with. And I, just, I wasn't real happy with that. So it wasn't really my appearance, but I decided to leave there and get back in radio, and that's when I ended up at, at ABC News. Uh-huh. And, uh, and and then doing some TV work for them, surprisingly enough. And it, it came out of nowhere. I had no plan to do that, but hmm. they just called me up one day and, and subsequently uh, called me a number of times to, 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 to appear on TV. And so uh, it really was a life lesson in, in saying, you know, I, I, people are going to have their opinions. Some people are going to think my eyes are droopy to this day. And that might be a problem for some people. Other people might call them, Bedroom eyes. Yes, I was just going to you know, say, yeah. Way. Uh, so you just, you really don't know how people are going to react. So what really matters is what I think of myself and, and how am I going to let, let this affect me. Yes, and so that, at, at what time did this little, did the germ, the seed of this book start growing? Well, that's uh, been about three years in the making. And uh, as I said, I had been reading self-help books. I had attended some seminars and gone through therapy. And, um, and one day it occurred to me that I had a number of friends uh, and family members who would call me from time to time, not just to chat, but to ask my advice hmm. because they had heard my story. I had shared, finally started sharing with people and, and telling them how I overcame this and how I view life today. And so I thought, I really need to write this down. This, I have something to offer the world. I mean, we laughed about this in this interview today. But when I was going through this, it was so painful, so hurtful. I did a lot of crying. Uh, there was such self-loathing that I, I really hated myself. And uh, despite the fact that I was being successful in my career. So I said, I need to share this with people. Hopefully, if they're going through this, They'll get the message, and, and they can stop it. And for those who uh, haven't quite gone through this, uh, it's a message to them, a learning lesson for them, so that they never have to go through it. And this isn't just for people with a body image issue. That's the main part of my book, because that's who I was. But this can help, I, I, I hope, anybody out there that just uh, is, is trying to get by in life with relationships and friendships and, and, and they have these perception myths about themselves, whether they're not smart enough or, uh, you know, they're not personable enough or something is wrong with them. Um, it that usually is a perception myth, something planted that seed inside you and you've let it grow and in some cases even nurtured it. And so I'm, I'm trying to get people away from that and say, take a step back and, and ask yourself, is, is this something real? And, you know, with my chest, my chest is not a perception. There is an actual deformity, a medical condition with a big, long name attached to it. Uh, but the perception myth was that I am damaged goods and nobody will love me and I don't matter in this world. I'm a reject. And nothing could be further from the truth. And so as you were on this journey, um, have you seen, um, as you started loving yourself more, um, how how did you, um, I, I mean, I presume that you then overcame some of the issues that you were talking about in regard to keeping people at a distance. How did that unfold? Yes, and that was uh, many years in, in the making as well. 
But it was uh, a seminar that I uh, attended called the Landmark Forum. And in there, you have to share in order to get something out of it. And when you start sharing in front of a group of 80 strangers, essentially, and they don't laugh at you and they don't criticize you, but they just embrace what you're saying. They take it at face value and and they try to comfort you. Uh, you realize that if you are vulnerable with people, uh, most people who are healthy are not going to take advantage of that vulnerability. They're going to love you. They're going to reach out. They're going to hug you. They're going to say, hey, it's all right. I've been there, too. They might share something with you. And so I started noticing that the more I shared with people, uh, the more that uh, the, the, the closer we became and the more that they would share with me. And the relationships, these friendships became really solid bonds. And now I, I hold friendships at the highest level. I, I really am grateful that I have these wonderful friendships in my life because in the past I didn't know how to be a friend. And, and simply by being vulnerable, it helps. You know, I had a friend who uh, I met about 20 years ago, who up until the point where I was ready to release the book, did not know that I had a concave chest. Hmm. I had never appeared uh, without my shirt in front of this friend. I had never mentioned it to him. And I said, hey, by the way, I got this book coming out. I want to talk to you. And when I did, he asked questions. He was comforting. and, and, And our friendship grew closer. Mm-hmm. And so this has been a process. Even the book has helped me in 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 dealing with uh, my friendships and and intimacy. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, I know the book just came out in in January, right? Yes. Um, what kind of react have you? What kind of reactions have you been getting? I've had some really positive reactions, and really nothing negative. I, and I'm prepared for that. I want to make sure that uh, if, if someone doesn't like the book, that I'm prepared to say that's their opinion, and I'm okay with that. That doesn't mean it's a bad book. And you have to talk yourself into these things. You, know, you, have, to, you have to remind yourself of this. Um, but I've had great feedback and people saying, thank you for sharing this. Uh, you know, my situation isn't exactly like yours, but I've taken uh, some lessons from here to apply to my, my life. Um, but I think if people are suffering body image issues, you know, and especially we have a, a, a severe weight problem in this country, yeah. and a lot of people feel bad about their weight, and so they uh, put, you know, blossoming clothes on, so they try to hide the weight, and they don't want to go uh, shirtless at a pool, or a, a female doesn't want to wear a, you know, a, a bathing suit because she feels she might look bad, or, you know, uh, I hope this book helps them and knowing that there are other people like you out there. So, it, you know, it's, it's great when you have numbers of people to support you. And, and that's just one part of you. Your body may not look as good as the person next to you. There may be somebody that looks worse than you, but it's all a matter of perception. And put yourself out there. And when you're honest with people and when you're vulnerable with people, they're going to embrace you. They're, they're, they're going to say, hey, I, I want you as a part of my life because, as you know, Dr. Carroll, that we've got Facebook and other social media where people, you know, put only the highlights of their life out there. <laughs> you know, oh, I was here and I'm doing this and my life is fabulous, and, and their life isn't that fabulous. Mm-hmm. And so we're putting on airs and, and we're, we're creating a different persona publicly. And I want people to know that, um, that you can be real because there aren't a lot of people out there being real. 
Yes, absolutely. More and more. And a lot of people feeling estranged from each other more and more as well. Exactly. Well, we, we need to take another break. My guest is Brad Wheelis. We're talking about overcoming body image issues in a world obsessed by appearance. And we will be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in The Business of Living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with my guest, Brad Wheelis. We're talking about um, how his life illustrates what what he has written about in his book. I mean, how his life essentially is a presents a map for how you can overcome obstacles in your life, whether it is pexis excavatum, uh, a chest wall deformity that's genetic that he had, a, con- a concave chest, or else severe eye problems that necessitated him wearing uh, thick glasses as a child, and. <laughs> And, a dro- and droopy eyes or bedroom eyes, depending <laughs> upon how you want to look at it. Um, it's a laundry list, isn't it? Yes, right. <laughs> so tell us, I mean, I know, of course, you talk about a lot of um, different lessons um, that people can learn to, um, to correct their own personal myths and misperceptions. What are some of the ones that, that you think, or the one that you think is the most important? Well, I think uh, I have a chapter called Tapping Into Your Inner Greatness. And I think that that this is a great life lesson. And that is be yourself, be authentic, and follow your passion. Follow your dreams. 
and don't let other things, all these obstacles get in the way, whether it's a body image issue or a self-esteem issue or that sort of thing. Keep plugging along. And that's essentially tapping into your inner greatness. It's, it's deep down in there. And, and by, by being authentic and, and being real with people and uh, following your passion, you'll discover that that inner greatness just rises up. And, um, and, and that's what separates people who I think are not so successful uh, or feel unsuccessful and those who have achieved greatness. And greatness can be, uh, you know, an Oscar-winning actor or actress. It could be the president of the United States, or it could be the person who uh, is a child care giver uh, who uh, does that job really well. You define your own success. Uh, but, but being a powerful person uh, is very, very important, and it's not that difficult. You just have to stop listening to that, that negative inner voice that wants to tell you you're not good enough, you're unlovable, you're not smart enough, you're in over your head, this is not going to work. Um, there's nothing to base that on. You know, there, it, 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 you can do it just by putting yourself out there, and I think that's probably the greatest list, lesson is to live your life your way. Yes, and you certainly have exemplified that. Um, uh, Brad also is has started a new foundation called the Pectus Excavatum Foundation. I guess, has there been, is there, was there before this any kind of organization that dealt with this issue? You know, there wasn't, and I was so surprised because when I, when I read the statistics uh, that one in 450 people are diagnosed or have pectus excavatum. Uh, I was really surprised that there wasn't a foundation to, to help people, to raise awareness. And so I took it upon myself uh, to put something together. And uh, we now have a website, the pectus excavatum foundation.org. And uh, it's basically a fundraising website. Also, we hope if we raise enough funds uh, uh, and, and awareness that we will be able to help people who financially can't afford to have this corrected if they need it. Now, some people suffer some medical issues uh, associated with pectus excavatum. I was lucky enough uh, that I did not. But some people have trouble breathing. Sometimes their heart is displaced slightly, so uh, they will have heart palpitations. And, and when you correct this, and it's a pretty simple procedure now uh, uh, that's called... Um, uh, well, you can go through the, the, the ravage procedure. is a little more intense, but the nest procedure is simply putting a metal bar in there and kind of pushing the chest out and letting the body grow into that naturally. Um, so we want to help people who want to have this surgery uh, to correct it. And so um, we'd appreciate any donations, but, but there wasn't an organization out there, and, and I felt the need to, to have one and, and one that could possibly lobby Congress or insurance companies uh, to make sure that we have the coverage that that we need and deserve. Yes, that's very interesting. Yes, you would you would think that by now um, there would have been something like that, but I'm glad that you're doing that. Yeah, um, and there are some Facebook pages for people with pectus, and and so there's there's a lot of chatter on the web, a lot of people talking, but not really. There wasn't an organization, and and, and it did surprise me that. That nobody was coming together and saying, "Hey, let's let's organize and let's put the, the message out there." Uh, that there are lots of us out there, and so many people with pectus feel isolated and alone because they don't have a friend or know somebody with pectus. And that's where social media has done some great good 
and that we've all connected that way. I've met a couple of uh, people face to face. And, and it's just like meeting an old friend, you know, and our stories, uh, although they, they differ in fact, our stories are the same. We felt the same way about our bodies and, and, uh, and we want to help the younger people who are growing up with this to say, uh, you know, you don't have to go through the torment that we went through. It's unnecessary and it doesn't matter in life in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about how this would be very valuable if you went around to schools, you know, grade schools or middle schools, high schools talking about this to help kids who are in the same position as you once were. Absolutely, and I'm working on that. That's, that's one of my goals is to, to get out there and, and speak to students and catch them when they're at a young enough age uh, that, that they can prevent this torment and, and this self-destruction, if you will, and, and live a happier life. Um, it, it's really important to get people when they're young because they're, they're malleable. Uh, you can uh, work with them. As, as we become adults, we cling to these ideals and these beliefs, and it, it's harder to let go of those. Not impossible, but it's a little tougher for us where children sort of take to it just because an adult is, is imparting this wisdom upon them. Yes, yes. Well, tell people how they can find out more about you and where they can get the book. Well, I would love for people to visit my website. It's com. And uh, that's also my uh, Twitter handle, the Brad Wheeler, so you can find me there as well. Uh, but uh, you can find a link to my book on there. But if you'd like, you can go to Amazon.com, look up the Perception Myth, and it'll pop right up so you can buy it there. Available in uh, a number of bookstores, Barnes & Noble, across the uh, United States. So uh, I really uh, – this, this book is so near and dear to me. It is my story. It's my vulnerability. And uh, there are some pictures in there as well. So we didn't get to, uh, you know, to share what my chest really looks like on the radio, uh, mm-hmm. only in description. But there are some pictures in there to kind of give you an idea where I was coming from and what Texas is all about. And we really want to blast that out there and put it out there so that, so that not only the folks of Texas feel better about themselves, but that people become aware and they treat them with compassion and say, you know what, you're all right. I accept you. Yes, and, it's, and for people to understand that it's not that there's anything – you know that that they're they're lesser in any way. This is a genetic. I mean, you know, I mean, people didn't do anything wrong to have this condition. It's it's a genetic exactly. condition that. Um, you, you know, know I, I, now that you mentioned that, I want to say that some the, one of the great turning points for me was when uh, someone in a seminar, the leader of the seminar, came to me and face to face, right in my face, said, "Brad, it's not your fault." Mm-hmm. And I said, "I know." And he said, "No, no, no." It's not your fault. And I started crying. The floodgates mm-hmm. opened because I knew it wasn't my fault, but I was blaming myself for all of those years. And it, right then I had the epiphany. I had blamed myself. I thought this was my fault. I really did. And yeah. knowing that frees you and you go, this isn't my, this is the card I was dealt. And, and I'm going to play it to my best ability. Yes, and, you know, metaphorically, the idea, like, when people are proud, you know, there's the expression to stick your check, just stick your check out and, and be proud of yourself and so on. You know, there's, um, or you think about robins or, you know, I mean, that's a feeling of, of good self-esteem. And so having to have a chest that went inward um, just in, in you know, on its own, the way it was shaped and metaphorically um, makes... T- 
makes for it to be harder to have good self-esteem. I want to give out um, Brad's uh, website again. It's the Brad, B-R-A-D, Wheelis, W-H-E-E-L-I-S dot com, thebradwheelis.com, and that was pectusexcavatum.org, P-E-C-T-U-S, excavatum, E-X-C-A-V-A-T-U-M dot org. Brad, thank you so much for sharing your personal story and for sharing all the lessons that you learned and how important perseverance is regardless of or in spite of one's um, myths, personal myths. So thank you. I'm such a big fan, so thank you so much, Dr. Carroll, for having me on the couch. You're very welcome, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 